Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. God, I say that every single time, but it never gets old. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Michael Maliakel, who is Aladdin in, well, you guessed it, Aladdin here on Broadway. He made his Broadway debut in this show coming out of COVID, a, a return to Broadway. It's just one thing after another of... Him having this incredible, incredible journey to realize this dream that he didn't realize until later in life that he actually had. So good for him. Just an incredibly nice guy. Can't wait to share this interview with you. Find me on Instagram and Twitter. Leave a rating and a review. You know the drill. And now after a quick break, please enjoy this episode with Michael Maliakel. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Here you go. One, two, three. Today's guest recently made his Broadway debut as Broadway reopened after COVID, starring in the title role of Aladdin at the New Amsterdam Theater. Additional credits on stage include the national tour of Phantom of the Opera and on TV in CBS's Bull. Michael Maliakel, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Alan, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I am good, man. I, did I get your name right? I yes, you nailed correctly. it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Heck yeah. I've been practicing in the mirror. It was like my audition for today. It's not I, I an got... easy one. I get it. I get it. But you totally <laughs> nailed it. You booked the part. You're hired. Yes. So you grew up in Hamilton, New Jersey. I sure did. Yeah. No relation to the Broadway play. You grew up in no. Hamilton. <laughs> and so I guess, uh, talk to me about you as a a child because I, I was reading and researching for today and, and it seems like your background did not lend itself to performing or even singing for that matter but all of a sudden this just sort of fell in your lap so as yeah. a kid what were you what were you doing in in Hamilton you know it's it's been an unexpected journey so I'll, I'll see if I can <laughs> put this across in a way that uh, feels linear even though it 
wasn't so much when I was living through it. Um, I am a uh, first-generation Indian American, proud son of Indian immigrants who moved here uh, in the uh, in the 80s, late 80s. Um, and uh, three brothers were all born in New Jersey. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really lucky to have parents that were uh, very uh, supportive of of. All the things, you know, we were from an early age put into, you know, soccer, rec soccer, rec basketball, all the sports and um, and music lessons. Um, and of all the things that, that I started to do outside of school, the one thing that sort of captured my attention in a way that nothing else did was was music. It was I had, a, you know, a, a dinky little keyboard that I would just spend hours in front of. And um, um, my family is. Christian is Catholic, and we, uh, you know, grew up going to church every Sunday. And um, and um, for any Catholics out there, they might know the whole like altar server routine. My parents put me in for all of that, and then the church choir sort of came up after that. And uh, um, you know, it, it it was the one thing that kind of stuck that I didn't feel uh, that my parents didn't really have to like make much of an effort to get me to sit down and focus and, um, you know, prioritize my time. Uh, so I, uh, really took to that and was lucky to have a couple of, of directors and, uh, piano teachers early on that sort of, um, helped fuel that, uh, that little seed, um, of, of loving music early on. So I, uh, I, I was sort of a music nut, um, fell in love with classical music, uh, went to a very uh, interesting uh, middle school called the American Boy Choir School in Princeton, New Jersey, which is a all boys boarding professional singing choir school, uh, <laughs> which is kind of a, a difficult thing to explain. It's sort of a, based on this old European model. A lot of the cathedrals in, in Europe had these long established boys choirs, uh, maybe for the Vienna boys choir, um, but sort of along that same line, um, we did our schoolwork during the days and then we had intensive music rehearsals through the rest of the afternoon, um, you know, ear training, uh, sight reading, um, voice work, and then of course rehearsals. And we toured the country and performed with a lot of the, you know, biggest orchestras around the world, um, singing mostly classical music, um, and uh, yeah, that's, that was sort of my foundational introduction to music. Um, and at age 14, uh, 14, when I graduated school, I thought like, oh, it's totally normal that you sing with the New York Philharmonic and, you know, uh, <laughs> at Carnegie Hall and whatnot. These things felt like so routine and normal by the end of that. And then I went to uh, uh, just a regular high school um, back in at my hometown and uh and realized very quickly that that was a very unique middle school experience. Um, oh, wait, that was middle school. I thought it was high school. No, I was wow. uh, grades, grades five through eight. Yeah. So that was, that was wild. And so I, um, you know, had this huge uh, bank of experience. Uh, just, you know, I, I, I was a strong sight reader and um, loved choral music and uh, sort of had this strange background coming into high school. Uh, and then obviously, you know, did all the, the choirs and things, uh, as I went through high school, um, started taking private voice lessons, uh, my sophomore year. Um, and then, you know, I sort of realized that all of my friends who were all the music nerds, uh, were also doing this thing on the side, the theater program. And I was like, well, what the hell is that? Um, you know, my parents didn't really know much about music. Again, they supported everything that I 
showed an interest in, um, but I I didn't know really what Broadway was. Um, I think at that point I had maybe seen uh, the Into the Woods VHS with like Bernadette Peters, that, mm-hmm. that kind of iconic production, and that was that was sort of all I really knew about Broadway. Um, and I didn't see my first Broadway show until I was a junior in high school. Um, and so, you know, when all my friends were doing theater in school, I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do that. And um, wandered in and did, uh, I think my first show was Songs for a New World, um, that really solid, iconic Jason Robert Brown review. And uh, and I was hooked after that um, and sort of... Uh, you know, every waking moment that I wasn't in class, I was either in choir practice or taking a voice lesson or in rehearsal for the shows. And, um, you know, that sort of set me down this path. I, it was a, a really, um, academic forward, uh, high school. So a lot of, uh, the focus was, you know, on getting into solid colleges and, um, and the thought of a career in the performing arts was, not one that I don't know any of this alumni from the school pursued, um, at least not that I was aware of. So I sort of assumed, you know, this is a great fun hobby, a great way to spend my time to, you know, spend as much time as possible with my uh, friend group. And then, um, and then, you know, I'd go to college and become an accountant or an engineer or something along the lines of, you know, that most of my family had become. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and I was sure. perfectly, perfectly content to make that happen. And uh, by the time I got to senior year of high school and was, you know, coming down to the wire, deciding what I wanted to do. Um, and I had applied and gotten into a few um, vocal por- performance programs. Uh, I sat down with my college counselor and with my parents and I was just like, I don't really know that I want to do this forever. I mean, like there's no one who looks like me doing it. I don't really have any role models. Like, I don't really know where I would fit in or what a career like this would look like. And to my parents who, you know, immigrated from India uh, with and really sort of built their lives from scratch, the thought of jumping into a career that had very little, um, um, you know, in in terms of uh, job security and certainly in terms of, examples of success that looked like me they were like well maybe we don't need to put all our eggs in that one basket why don't you uh go to school um get get yourself a a liberal arts degree or something along those lines and then see where you where it takes you from there and uh keep your options open so i did and i ended up going to uh georgetown university in dc um i joined as sort of an undeclared liberal arts major and uh uh, I did two years there, um, had a great time. DC is a phenomenal city, um, a great place to be a young person. And uh, this is sort of the same thing that happened in high school happened at Georgetown, which is that I was in class taking, you know, government and philosophy and English and math and biology. And then every waking hour that I wasn't in class, I was in the acapella groups, I was doing the shows, I was doing the choirs, I was going off campus, I was singing at the National Cathedral. I was just like, anything I could do to keep myself um, performing and singing. And at one point, my my friends just turned to me, they're like, you're great. We're so happy you're here. But but what the hell are you doing? Like, clearly, your your heart is somewhere else. And um and then, you know, after, you know, a, a long journey of sort of figuring that out, I finally gave myself permission to uh, 
entertain the idea of of transferring and pursuing performing full time. Um, and so it was uh, it was a uh, an interesting choice. I mean, not a whole lot of people leave Georgetown. It's a great school, and um, and I just sort of knew that um, you know you really only get one shot at this whole thing and um, this thing. Uh, called life <laughs> not to get too philosophical but you know uh, I owed it to myself to give it a shot and so I uh, I ended up applying to a handful of music conservatories um, at that point again theater was sort of just a a, a fun hobby for me on the side uh, but my real love was was singing and classical music and uh, the voice as an instrument and being a musician uh, you know a, a student of the voice uh, and so I Ended up at the Peabody Conservatory in Johns Hopkins um, in Baltimore. And so my degree is in opera from, from Peabody. Uh, I had a great teacher there who taught me so much about my instrument, um, who wanted nothing to do with musical theater. So I, yeah, it I seems would, to be uh, two different worlds. <laughs> it, it, you know, less so these days, I, from what I understand. But at that point, it was very old school, very much like the Italian bel canto, you know, following the old European traditions and preparing you for a career as an opera singer. That was sort of that that one track. And uh, and I was happy to do that and, and build my voice from the ground up, have a solid technique and a foundation that, you know, has served me well down the line. But on the side, I was, you know, I, I couldn't stop with all the uh, theater soundtracks and I would go see shows in the city as much as I could and had one ear to the ground that whole time. And uh Anyway, yeah, so I, I graduated from school and then moved to New York. Um, my folks are from New Jersey, and so New York was always close by, and I always sort of um, dreamed that I would live there one day. It always sort of felt like um, the next logical step, and um, and I, uh, you know, hit the pavement just trying to to uh, pay the bills as a, as a classical singer, uh, which meant a lot of um, professional choral work in the city, a lot of contract work, and teaching voice lessons, and um, you know, some recitaling here and there, concert work. Uh, and um, in the meantime, you know, I had I had just started uh, in college, actually, when I was still at Georgetown, had first went to my first open call. It was, I mean, don't tell my parents, but I was hung over after a cast closing party of uh, <laughs> a new brain. And uh, and they were they were casting the uh, I think it was the first national tour of Spring Awakening. And so my friends from the cast were like, oh, we should just go. They're doing like this nationwide call. They're at University of Maryland. We can just drive there. I didn't know shit about shit. I had printed out literally my Facebook profile picture as my headshot and went in with a Beatles song. And it ended up, you know, long story short, like several rounds of callbacks, getting flown to New York to to do this like audition boot camp, uh, like three days with Michael Mayer and uh, you know the, these kids who were in conservatories for musical theater. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And the casting director, or I think she was the associate at that time, um, uh, Carrie Gardner, uh, pulled me aside and was like, "Listen, you're you're." Um, you're pretty good. You have you have like the raw talent here. I just I think you need to sit down and figure out what it is you want because if this is something you really want to pursue with some hard work and some polishing up, 
there could be a place for you here. And, uh, wow. and that sort of planted the seed in my head that I didn't really unearth for many, many years after that. I went, you know, like I said, to sort of pursued the opera thing for a while. And finally, when I moved to New York, I was like, well, maybe I should just like sh- try my hat at these open calls. I was already in AGMA, the American Guild of Mus- Musical Artists, which is the, uh, uh, it's essentially the opera singers union. Um, and so there's a reciprocity with equity where you can show up to equity auditions um, uh, as a sister union member and, and, uh, and, you know, shoot your shot. So I started going to these open calls. Um, and the first one was for um, the Phantom of the Opera. Um, it was for the Broadway production, sort of on those routine open calls and, and went and, <clears throat> had a couple of callbacks and then um, hadn't heard anything. You know, I went to a, you know a few different open calls down the line, and then eventually got a call for um, for the tour, um, and uh, and that sort of completely changed my whole perspective on what this this uh, this career might look like for me. Um, I was really lucky to to get to understudy Raoul on the. 25th national um tour uh which closed right before the pandemic hit which is kind of wild mm-hmm. um we we were lucky to get a proper closing party which i'm really grateful for because i know so and you're still hungover <laughs> exactly oh my god it's these bags under my eyes um <laughs> but uh but yeah it was it was a, a really um sort of groundbreaking moment for me in terms of uh what what uh what, what, what was to come. Um, and along the way, I, you know, I, I was able to do some regional work, uh, which was really exciting. I got involved in a lot of uh, developmental work. What's interesting as, a, as, a, as an underrepresented uh, voice in this business, um, especially in the like pre-Hamilton era and like immediately following, which is when I had first moved to New York, um, there weren't people weren't really looking at people like me to be Mm-mm. in a production like the Phantom of the Opera, say, or or um, or really any any of the other big mainstream shows that were out. So a lot of the work that I was getting was this sort of um, developmental stuff. There were new productions coming up where uh, people were just starting to reconsider the idea of like who deserves to be telling these stories, what kind of stories are worth being told. And that's sort of where I found my first footing. Um, workshops of, of new shows sort of like welcomed me as a fresh face and a new perspective. Um, whereas some of the old, you know, standbys, I couldn't, I guess they just weren't quite at a place yet to uh, consider someone like me in um in, in leading roles. And so I, I sort of had to bide my time and made some great connections along the way and learned a lot about the craft of theater and built a great network through those developmental things and regional out of towns. And uh, yeah, and then when Phantom happened, um, it just sort of uh, took things to the next level for me. And, and, and honestly, um, I think it just put me on, on the map in, in, in terms of just like some casting directors started to to recognize my name a little bit more. And then, you know, things sort of um, went from there. This career is is by no means a, uh, a straight shot. There's no real trajectory for for most of us. Uh, that's sort of the um, 
the norm rather than the exception. And and I, uh, you know, I feel like when the pandemic hit, uh, I had just started to feel this momentum, like things were really going well. I was being invited into rooms that before people would never even have considered bringing me into. And, uh, and then suddenly, you know, obviously the world did what it did and, uh, and everything sort of was put on pause for a while. Um, yeah, I just talked at you for a really long time, but that's sort of the uh, Sparknotes version of why, how this little brown kid uh, from New Jersey, son of immigrants, lover of classical music, and uh, sort of found his way into this wild, crazy world of theater. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks. <laughs> have a great day. Uh, it's been really you nice. Have a great day. There's so much you said there. Thank you for sharing. There's so much you said that that I want to unpack. And I think there was like a whole. The first thing is is between fourth grade and fifth grade, you were getting into, or before going into the boys' choir, like you weren't singing. Uh, I guess the, the, there was an audition process. There was actual something that got you into this middle school that then changed your life in terms of falling mm -hmm. in love with performance. So that there's that whole aspect that I want to ch touch on real quick. And then the other part of it is, and I know this is much harder to quantify, but... From a larger picture, zooming out from the metaphysical aspect of you have one shot on this earth, right? Um, what is it about performing music and singing that speaks to your soul? Wow. Why, is, why did you spend every waking moment outside of what you didn't want to do doing this? Ooh, that's not a that's not a big question or anything, really. Um, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess the first part of your question about uh, getting into this um, really unique, intense uh, choir school, uh, the American Boy Choir School, uh, I had been singing in church choirs uh, like the children's choir and a couple of community choirs for a while. And you know, when you're when you're four in fourth grade, what is that nine? eight or nine, something like that. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, no one's like a, a virtuosic musician by that point. So I, it was, it was really just a matter. I think they were looking for uh, a solid ear, someone who could, uh, I remember like in the audition, they would play a cluster of notes and you'd have to sing the top note or sing the bottom note or something along those lines. And then they'd have you sing, I don't know, uh, the national anthem or some, something like that. Um, just to see if you could, maintain your pitch over the course of a song acapella um little things like that that sort of just like they were able to identify a little uh little seed of of a, a young you know musician in there and that's sort of uh, what got me into the school um and then your second question uh which this is the easy know, one will will take us another probably hour to get through <laughs> uh, was it was you know i i think more than anything, it, it it felt like, even if like if I'm looking at it in hindsight, um, in the moment, it was just the one thing that that made me feel like I was contributing. Like there was something that I had that that my voice mattered. That um, you know, when I when I was singing, it felt like I was doing. I was answering sort of a calling, I guess. I felt like this was, um, it was what made me happy. It was what uh, what um, helped me connect with the people that I found most interesting in the world. Um, and, you know, I I, uh, I was able to record this, um, 
PBS special uh, a few months ago. And in the process of that, they did some interviews just like they wanted to know our experiences with PBS and whatever growing up. And, you know, I I was <laughs> the first memory I had of PBS was watching these uh, Josh Groban uh, concert specials. Um, <laughs> and I remember just being glued to these concerts like this. Here's this guy who's like, you know, not a whole lot older than me, who was just like, singing his face off in front of these massive orchestras with like stunning production quality and just like captivating audiences. And it was, it wasn't about like, you know, like a big splashy song and dance thing or whatever, you know, he wasn't like, he wasn't like a movie star, good looking kind of dude. He was just like someone who really loved to sing, who with just simply the power of of his voice could captivate audiences mm-hmm. and make them just like feel deeply and 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 that I think like I really do think that was sort of a foundational moment for me that was like oh my gosh like not only is like the experience of listening to this dude sing really transformative but beyond that like how cool would it be to maybe someday do something along those lines um and you know then all the other baggage of just like <laughs> uh could I see myself doing something like that uh, hard to say because most of the like uh, Indian representation in the media at that time, I think it was like, you know, it was like Aziz Ansari on Parks and Rec. And it was like, um, it was that that kid from Mean Girls who was like, you know, the awkward butt of all the jokes who like couldn't get a girl to save his life. And it was Apu from The Simpsons. It, like there wasn't a whole lot that that like really... Uh, embodied like a, a fully fledged experience, at least not one that I had as a as a first generation Indian American. So, you know, I think more than anything, I was just like trusting my gut that mm-hmm. this whole music thing that made me feel alive and feel connected and feel useful and interesting in the world, um, and that set me apart from the crowd, so to speak. That that was something worth pursuing. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I like that you said it's sort of like a calling. Right, because it, it draws, and not so much in sort of a spiritual sense, but more of a, a, a friend of mine, well, my co-host on my other podcast was a chance. She says that um, it, it, she feels things she should be doing in her solar plexus, where things she, she shouldn't be doing, she feels in her back of her neck, like pulling mm-hmm. her backwards. Mm-hmm. And so, I, as you're describing how you feel about singing, it's sort of, it, it, it relates to me in that same sort of way, is that when I'm performing, when I'm singing, it's it's this projection of energy and projection of uh, connection, right? Like that's that's emanating out of my body and totally. connecting with the people watching, and and we're yeah. all traveling on this emotional journey together. And that's I've said this so many times in this podcast is that that's what I miss so much about the pandemic is not sitting in a room, not being able to sit in a room of strangers and yeah. cry and laugh together. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's just something utterly cathartic about that, whether totally. we realize it or not. And I, yeah. I still don't know how to how to quantify or describe that other than yeah, it is just a, it's a tough <laughs> thing to to put into words for sure. But I but I think at the same time it's something that most people that probably all people that perform instinctively just know, you know, like if I were to say to someone like, you know, that, that feeling that you get and, and you're right. I think the, the interactive and and more than that, the collaborative part of it is, is like, you cannot understate how crucial that is. Like, I think that's what it mm-hmm. was that really attracted me to, to choral singing and then theater beyond that is like the thought of having a scene partner or that literally the sound of your voice vibrating and those sound waves sort of meshing with the the 20 other people that you're on stage with or whatever, or even if it's just the piano pianist that you're collaborating with, like that aspect of, of, of interacting together and then connecting with an audience. I mean, it was just like, oh man, something just like lit up in me when I was, when that first experience happened. Yeah. There was a uh, an experiment. That was an experiment. It was just something really cool. A, a demonstration that a teacher of mine did once. I went to an all boys like summer choir thing when I was in high school, and you know, any what is, what's that saying that any civilization sig- significantly advanced beyond our own, their technology seems like magic. You know, so magicians yeah. back in the uh-huh. day were just great scientists, more yeah. or less, right? Totally, and. But uh, so I'm, I'll I'll illustrate this. I bring this up because I think physics is magic. Uh, because in the male voice, you have if you're looking at the waveform of you're singing a note, and then there's you can see on the waveform. I don't know if you know this. Uh, please stop me if you have. But you know you can see like very easily the the fifth and the third on either end of it, right? Mm-hmm. So as and you can in female voices too, it's the same, but it's more pronounced in male voices. We just have more natural overtones mm-hmm. and. When you get a room, so we were in this big room, it was like a hundred male voices, all singing in unison. As clear as day, we could hear the the fifth show up, and then we heard the third show up yes. because the physics of all yes. of our voices See, was this, amplified. This yeah. music nerd physics stuff, I am all about it. Like those that hyper tuning where the 
where the overtones just sort of buzz out of nowhere. I yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. You're speaking my language. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that stuff so much. And that like that to me is is like there's a fundamental knowledge I think that there's just not enough time. Okay, there's not enough time in the world to learn everything. And I had this conversation, <laughs> I had this conversation with my son the other day. He's like, "Dad, why do I need to go to school? I know everything." And I said, "He's seven. He's seven, right?" Amazing. I said, "I said you don't know everything. There's no way anyone in the world will ever know anything." He's like, "But how is that? How can someone not know everything?" But wise uh, kid. Wow. Enough, I right. There's there's. I think everyone should know multiple languages it just it, it makes you more open to everything it, and i think everyone should learn to read music two things that i cannot do i can only <laughs> speak english and i can't read music i can sight read rhythmically and no intervals but i don't know the the actual like uh the actual music uh-huh. so um those are, those are two things that i wish everybody could get an education on while Still learning the physics and still learning how light rays work and and sure, what a sure. prism does to refract. Like God, like all of this stuff is so it's so frustrating. Like I, it's I understand where my, I, I understand where my son gets it because I want to know everything and I can tell he wants to know everything, <laughs> but it's just it's not possible. It's just not possible. I uh, know. So sad reality, right? <laughs> so Aladdin. Let's talk about Aladdin. Okay. Damn, that's a demanding show. Okay, so. <laughs> It was sorry. So I guess they obviously uh, it did not hurt that you came with the abs, right? So they're like, okay, put on this vest, and they're like, oh, you got you you got the role, good, good for you. Oh, and you can sing too, great. That's exactly how it worked, actually. You know, I was yeah. actually joking with my with my dresser the other day. I was like, you know, along all of these like whatever, it was like eight callbacks, nine callbacks, I don't know. Um, but never once did they ask me <laughs> to take my shirt off. I was like, what if I had this enormous like dragon tattoo across my entire <laughs> chest or just like, you know, like Ben Affleck style, like that big thing he's got on his back. Like you would never know that. Like they never asked, which, you know, I guess right. maybe there there are certain things that you just can't ask someone to do in an audition room. They were like, please don't wear anything costumey. Don't try to like wear a vest without a shirt, like wear, a, you know, a fitted T-shirt. I think that's what they'd ask for just so we could like see your physique or whatever. But but like but the reality is they, they didn't know. Nobody knew that, that <laughs> what my actual, I don't know. Anyway, it's just like a funny thing about this job where you're like half naked on stage in front of 2000 people every night it's it's well, wild talk me through <laughs> talk me through the auditions then so how did you're saying a second ago that um you know more and more casting directors started to know your name as you were doing things around around the city and uh i i was going to ask about the COVID aspect of all of this because it seems like the trajectory was coming hamilton had changed the game it is it's allowed um people who are not primarily Caucasian white men to, or, or uh, Caucasians, I guess, full mm. stop, um, to be in uh, uh, leads and not be the sidekick or the secondary mm. character, or whatever the case is, right? Mm. So things are going great. Representation matters. It's all over everything that we're doing. Yes. Full stop. Representation matters. I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hits. And so are you like, oh, Whoa, what am I doing? And then your parents are like, told you so, this this industry uh, was shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, all of these things were were very real. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
you know, for for the early days, I mean, we all sort of thought that this was just going to be temporary. And honestly, I had just gotten off of a tour, which was a year after I got married. And so, like, I had barely spent that much time with my new wife. And I was just like, oh, this is kind of nice. I get to, like, actually be home and, and uh, you know, see, see what that's like for a while. And then, you know, as the months sort of dragged on and it was clear that this was here for for to stay, um, you know, the thought of pivoting and, you know, maybe taking an online coding class or getting certified in XYZ was all sort of on the table for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to get some some work doing TV things once TV production started opening up again. And um, and it's just like sort of little morsels here and there, some remote concerts and some Zoom readings of, of new plays and, and new uh, new works coming down the pipeline. And and it was enough to sort of just maintain and sustain my fire for this that had been sort of building up over the last, you know, five or so years um, to sort of keep keep at it. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, this audition for Aladdin comes through my inbox and I'm like, what? Because I So I, uh, full disclosure, I had never seen the Broadway production. I'd never seen the, the stage show um, before. And I just sort of known you know, Adam Jacobs and I knew Telly, mm -hmm. um, who I'm mean, not personally, but I know, I knew the, the fellows that had played the role before. And I was like, well, I don't look like Jonathan any of those Freeman, guys. Freeman, of course. Yeah, no, of course. Um, and so I, I never really saw myself as um, an option for Aladdin. Uh, and so it, it sort of threw me for a loop. I was like, oh my God, like the movie was everything to me as a child, like hundred percent. I mean, Aladdin was, was it for, for brown kids in terms of like, cool representation for like the guy that gets the girl that that you know wins the day at the end of the play and is just like he was everything he was he was like he was funny he didn't take himself too seriously he was um charming he was um he had a heart of gold it was just like all of the thing mm -hmm. i had i mean when i tell you so I, I have two brothers an older brother and a younger brother and we wore the hell out of that oh. vhs oh my god i mean like all of it, like building pillow forts and pretending like we were doing the whole one jump scene, and and then uh, you know the the lunch boxes, the tidy whities the 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 bed sheets, like all of it. It was just uh, the obsession was was you know pretty unhealthy, honestly. And so um, to to finally uh, be invited to audition even for this role was like uh, kind of a surreal moment. Um, and you know, I I had sung. A whole new world, you know, drunkenly at karaoke, probably a thousand times, <laughs> and and finally they were like, "Let's sing it in an audition in front of freaking Casey Nicola and 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 you know Disney theatrical." So it's just like surreal, totally surreal. And I'd sort of figured, um, you know, I'm six foot four, and and uh, most of the other boys that had played the role before were all, you know, uh, <laughs> not six foot four, I guess. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a very image-driven business. That's no secret. Um, so I just sort of, for all of those reasons, never really thought that Aladdin was, was in the cards for me. Um, but ended up submitting this initial tape because it was, you know, one of 30 other tapes that I was submitting at that time, all these freaking self-tapes. My God, uh, the, the uh, recording these things in your bedroom, like what a... <laughs> what a horrible thing, honestly. But um, so I sang "Proud of Your Boy" and recorded a couple of scenes um, with my uh, wife wait. as Jasmine, which is great. <laughs> when when was this? Uh, in terms of reopening, fall of twenty twenty one, right? So when when were you doing all these auditions? Uh, these were I got my first appointment. I want to say in like 
June, maybe. Oh wow! So not that far away. Okay, no, go on, go on. No, it, it all happened. Uh, uh, I guess relatively quickly in the scheme of the pandemic, uh, but yeah. So I submitted that first tape, and then uh, um, and then I think they asked for another tape with some other things, and uh, and then uh, my first uh, musical Zoom audition, which whoo, that's a uh, that's a whole can of worms. Uh, but uh, you know, all of these <laughs> things sort of just like I was like, okay, you know, once they finally get me in a room, they're gonna tell me I'm too tall. Like I know that's gonna happen, um, and. It's it's one thing on Zoom where you're just in a box, right? And it's like chest up and, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can play this. Great. Um, and then finally, I think ours, Aladdin's um, final callbacks were probably one of the first in-person auditions. You know, we all had to like prove vaccination and all of that. It was sometime mm-hmm. in, oh, man, uh, July, maybe, or like late June. Um, and And yeah, it was surreal to be able to get back in a room and... Honestly, I think like just the excitement of being able to to do it in a room in front of a table full of people um, sort of distracted me from any kind of nerves I had. Uh, so it was um, <laughs> it was it was interesting. And I again, I just kept waiting for them to be like, "Oh, he's too tall." But it's just like you know, the, Casey was uh, was really encouraging and supportive, and there were things he liked, there were things he didn't like, and 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 we worked back and forth, and I I worked my butt off on that material, on the dancing. Holy cow, I'm not a dancer, uh, but uh, there's a fair amount in this show, at least more than I've ever been asked to do, and uh, you know, it's it's just sort of um, the chips fell into place, and oh, the whole time I was just like waiting for them to just say like, you know, you're great, but it's just it's not going to work out. Um, and uh, <laughs> you're going to hit your head on all the all the drops. Sorry, <laughs> you're not going to fit on the carpet, you know, whatever, all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and and when I finally got the call that it was happening, I just sort of like I, w- I remember I was at home <clears throat> with my wife and our dog and I sort of just like crumpled on the floor in a pile. And my wife was like, did you what? And then she crumpled on a floor and then our dog was like, oh, my God, the humans are freaking out what's going on. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh yeah i mean it the the whole thing was completely surreal and um especially because it sort of just came out of nowhere you know it's uh, people ask me if if this was like a dream role for me like starring on broadway and for so many years like it, i like didn't even allow myself to have that kind of dream because i didn't want to you know get my heart broken i didn't it's hard to be that that first person to do these things you know like i i there were so few people who looked like me succeeding in this business that I was like, you know, if if the odds work out, great, but I'm not going to like set my heart on it because the heartbreak would be too much. But um, so when it finally happened and I I was able to kind of wrap my head around the fact that I would be taking the last bow on one of the biggest stages in New York in one of like, you know, this smash hit musical that whose story had sort of like been a huge part of my childhood like it was all of it was just waves on waves of like intense emotion um which was honestly pretty great because the rehearsal process was really grueling coming back to performing after all this hiatus and learning a big show like aladdin i mean he's on stage the whole time basically say for i don't know 15 minutes Mm -hmm. or so and um so it was uh it was it was a long process and I learned a lot about myself and I'm so grateful to that whole team and that whole company for sort of carrying me through it um to opening which you know on top of all of the covid stuff it was just like 
I'm I'm like proud of myself for having survived all of it. Honestly, it was just such a such a whirlwind, such a roller coaster. And um, you know, now that we've got some distance from from all of that, and it looks like the pandemic is um, you know at least not quite as threatening as it once was. Um, I am completely overwhelmed with gratitude to be where I am. Hmm. It's like it's outrageous. I mean, to there there are like billboards on 95 there's like a bus like disney is like pulling out all the stops on advertising just to you know make sure that the industry is back where it needs to be um as we reopen and get back to normal and it's like i never in my wildest dreams did i think that i would be on banners going through the theater district like it's it's all crazy completely crazy and i don't take it for granted at all so you talked about you're taking the last bow. So opening night of one of the first shows back after Broadway shut down for almost two years, Broadway debut uh, in in a role that you never thought you would be in. Like, what was that first curtain call like of opening night? You know, I I was talking to a few friends the. Uh, the week before opening and they're just like, how are you feeling? You know, folks that had been on Broadway for years and had several Broadway credits under their belts. And, and they were like, you know, I was just sort of asking them for advice. And, and my one friend was like, here, this is going to be really hard for you because you're, there are going to be a million things on your mind and you're just going to, you know, try to make sure that you don't fall off buildings in that role and, uh, and, you know, be <laughs> overwhelmed with emotions, but be as present as you can for that, for your curtain call, for your Broadway debut. Like you only get one and, um, and give yourself the gift of being present in that moment. And, you know, I, I will say honestly that the majority of that first show was a total blur, um, just sort of riding the wave and, and trusting my body to do what we had rehearsed to do for those four weeks before. But uh, right before I came out for that, that, that bow, um, uh, you know, Jeannie and Aladdin have a little moment um, uh, in the wings, basically across the stage from each other. Um, and that's where I sort of immediately remembered what my friend had said. And I was like, okay, took a couple of breaths and was like, this shit is actually happening. You just did that. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. Your parents are in the crowd here. You're singing proud of your boy to your mom. Like this is all of it is just bonkers bananas, a sold out crowd at the new Amsterdam theater. I, um, I, I ran out there with the biggest grin on my face and just sort of like, full body goosebumps took in the moment and it was something i will never ever forget there's a there's a, a really uh, great photo of that first curtain call and um and i have it printed and framed and it uh sort of just reminds me of of the journey that it's been to get to this point and um to make sure you know in the, in the moments where the eight show week starts to feel hard or you know i think we're coming up to performance number 200 and um, you know, it's a it's a tiring role for sure, and and all the stresses of of making theater in a pandemic is you know it's all it's it can be a lot, but um, but holding on to that moment and what it means for me, for my family, for people that look like me, um, it's um, it's a it feels like a great responsibility and also just like an incredible gift to be able to do this. So I, I that first bow, man, that's um, that's been fuel for for these last six months for sure. Wow, when you when I asked earlier, 
why you love singing and performing, all you needed to actually say was you're a middle child. That's that answers everything. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Where That's can I get okay. where can I get the attention I so gravely desire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, let's wrap up with the three standard closing questions that I mm-hmm. ask everybody at the end of the episodes. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? What motivates me is the thought that one day a South Asian person leading a Broadway show will not be a big news story. Um, you know, I've, I've been so grateful to be able to represent my community in this position and to, um, you know, to, to get to speak to a lot of people that are sort of coming up in the business and, and, and looking to Shoba Narayan, who plays Jasmine and I mm-hmm. as sort of um, ro- role models and inspirations. And that's surreal to me to think that people actually look to me as a, as an example. And I know that, you know, if when I were, was their age and at their stage, it would have meant so much to see someone succeeding and, um, to have a, an example sort of light the way, but what motivates me is that someday it's just going to feel totally normal. Like why shouldn't the stages, um, and the stories that we tell look like the world that we live in? Um, I think that that's, that's sort of the ultimate goal. And, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be, um, you know, the first South Asian to play Aladdin on Broadway. Um, I certainly hope I'm not the last and I hope that, um, you know, that diversity in all its forms in terms of, you know, body diversity and ability, disability, um, uh, gender diversity, all of that is, is represented, um, more fully and beautifully on stage because, um, because that's what that, I mean, that's, what's, that's, what's beautiful about this world is like, you know, I, I, who needs to see another revival of X with, X and X in the lead roles. You know, it's just, I think that we owe it to ourselves and to our audiences to sort of push the whole thing forward. And, um, and I'm excited that just starting to see the seeds of that happening now, uh, there's a long way to go, but I think, um, I think if we sort of commit to where, where we're headed, I think it's, it's a really exciting thing. Wonderful. Okay. So what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Oh man, I would say, don't wait for an invitation. Don't wait to be given permission. Um, I think for so long, I sort of wouldn't allow myself to entertain these big dreams because it seemed like they weren't spaces that I was welcome in. They certainly weren't spaces that were designed with people like me in mind. Um, And I think I sort of put off for a long time um, committing to to uh to this art form for so long because i i just didn't know i didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket um without any you know example of what it what it might look like um but i think uh if i could tell myself uh give give myself some advice it'd be just like trust that if you put in the hard work and you uh hone your skill set as as dedicated as you possibly can trust that there is a space for you, that, um, that your voice deserves to be heard, that you deserve to take up these spaces and don't wait for people to give you permission because, you know, this industry 
very rarely for people does that happen um, and even more rarely for people of color. And I think that, um, that I would have really benefited from hearing, um, hearing that. Awesome. Okay, last question. Hard one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, wow. Um, hmm. That is a great question. I, uh, I'm going to cheat and say two shows, if that's okay. Uh, the first sure. one would be, uh, would be Spring Awakening. I was, I was, uh, uh, I was enraptured with that, that score, with, uh, with the representation in the cast, with how just like how accessible it felt, how relatable it was, how damn catchy all those songs were. Um, I still like never get sick of listening to that soundtrack. And it was, um, it sort of checked all the boxes for me. It was the first, um, first, uh, I guess, newer show um, as like an opera nerd that I really sort of just like got hooked on and um, inspired by. Uh, the second would be uh, The Bridges of Madison County, um, which I, I think still is the only show that I've paid a full ticket price to go see more than once. <laughs> uh, I think I saw it three times. I was fully obsessed with the singing in that show. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, it sort of just like ignited whatever spark of the little like uh, singing nerd in me to hear these two phenomenally tight like talented titans in our business just sing their faces off for two hours you know i could i would always skip through the sort of honky-tonk country stuff in this in the on the soundtrack but kelly and steven holy moly every single note was was so virtuosic and committed and like just like technique driven but also so emotionally connected I could listen to that score every damn day and not get sick of it. And um, the experience of, like we, just to bring it back to what we started with, the experience of sitting in the seats and letting my body vibrate sympathetically with their voices was was outrageous. It was, um, uh, it was crazy. It was, uh, so I, I, I think that would, be, that would be the other one. I love that. All right, where can we find you on social media? Ah, social media, uh, fickle friend. I am, <laughs> I am on Instagram <laughs> uh, primarily. Uh, my handle is just my first and last name, Michael Malia Kell. Um, I've yet to venture into the uh, land of TikTok, uh, but uh, but Instagram is probably where you'll find me most. Awesome. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, not TikTok. Well, I am on TikTok. I just haven't posted anything. But I'm on okay. Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast. <laughs> uh, leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Michael, thank you so much for the chat. This has been Alan, really, man. really fun. You're the best. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.